And uh, let's open our Bibles to Romans 10. Romans 10. And we'll throw up the first slide there. Our title, Your Ticket to the Romans Road Missionary Conference. Your Ticket to the Romans Road Missionary Conference. We're looking at Romans 10, chapter 10, verses 5 through 17. Now, why in the world this title, Jim? Is that something just to be uh, cute? No, no, no. Uh, This title, this passage, um, it's a very, very familiar, I should say, parts of this passage are very, very familiar. If you've been a Christian more than about five years, you will have heard teaching on different parts of this passage. But this is a passage that the individual teachings many times are seriously misunderstood. And this title captures many of the misunderstandings. So the, the first part of it, your ticket, that's from the famous, if you were, uh, if you were raised and saved into charismania, as I was, um, it's, from the, it's from the famous little booklet called How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. That comes from the Word of Faith or the Prosperity Movement. Um, it's a pamphlet that blends a misunderstanding of the phrase Word of Faith, which is in our text today. So it takes the word Word of Faith and another more serious, equally serious misunderstanding from Mark 11, where Jesus says, speak to that mountain, and it'll move. And it infers, they say, that whatever you say will come to pass if you believe it or not. And if you put the two of those phrases together, and I'll give a quote from this pamphlet, we see here the basic principle inherent in the God kind of faith. Believing with the heart and saying it with the mouth. Now that's right out of our text. Jesus believed it, and he said it. God believed it, and he said it, speaking the earth into existence. Now, the problem is, today's text does not equate those, does not present those words that way. Those words are about the gospel, not about that. How about your ticket to the Romans Road? Oh, now the Romans Road is a simple but pretty solid way of explaining the gospel from the book of Romans. It's awesome. That's good, until until, and many times, it morphs with a misunderstanding, an assumption that if only you confess with your mouth, you got to say it, and that's all you need to say, these words, Jesus is Lord. Just say that sinner's prayer, and I'm not anti-sinner's prayer, I'm not anti-altar call, this is a misunderstanding, although, the, you know, the real proclamation of your faith is baptism. Not an altar call, but that's another sermon. Um, just say the sinner's prayer at the altar call, and then presto, change Once saved, always saved. You got your fire insurance, and you won't go to hell. Why? Because you said, Jesus is Lord. Um, confessing Jesus is Lord in our passage today means a whole lot more than repeating the right words because of a reasonable but momentary desire to avoid the pains of hell. It's not what it means. And then your ticket to the Romans Road Missionary Conference. Missionary Conference. Now, that is a legitimate and even good use, typical use of this this part of our text today. Many times people use part of this text to say, you need to get involved, you need to consider, you need to pray, you need to do the following things about missions. And that's legit. But it's not what the text is about. And it seriously obscures Paul's point because, because Paul was not trying with this particular text to stimulate interest in foreign missions. As good as that is, and this text can be co-opted to do that, 
But that's not what Paul was doing. He was defending the truthfulness of the gospel. He was defending the reputation of God. So your ticket to the Romans Road Missionary Conference, we're going to unpack that text and see the good and the ugly in both of those without examining them. We're going to talk about the text, not the misapplication of the text. So we're done with that. Now we'll get to the text. But before we do, let's pray. Oh, Lord, we've got a lot of ground in a familiar and tricky and at times difficult to understand text. Lord, help me to preach. Help me and everybody else in here to hear, to understand, to apply, to obey, and then to pass it on to others. Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, turn on that light in our head. The Lord equally ignite a flame in our heart. So we may take your word and find life for our bones, life for our soul, and life for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember last week we ended up discovering that Paul's gospel was not a pig and a poke. But, as he said in Romans chapter 1, the gospel of God, we also learned that God is not fickle, and God has kept his promise to Israel by providing righteousness. Remember, righteousness, synonym, a right standing with God by means of the new covenant made possible by the death and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the Gentiles in the church at Rome had responded to that gospel, and there were many more Gentiles than Jews in the church at Rome at this time when Paul's writing. Because most of the Jews, historically, the Jews that were saved had been kicked out of Rome by the emperor at a particular reason. But, but even when they came back, the, the, it was different. I, I don't get this thing. Okay, it was different. The, the scales had, had tilted and it was now predominantly Gentiles. Why weren't the Jews being saved? Most Jews had rejected And Paul discussed, because they could not accept a crucified Messiah, we knew that, but here he talks about they could not accept the concept of a right standing, righteousness before God that was not earned by obedience to the law of Moses. But we also learned that anyone, Jew or Gentile, anyone who accepted this gospel of God by placing their faith in the work of Jesus, the one on whom the law had pointed to, who was the fulfillment, the finish line of the law, the one who ushered in the new covenant between God and his people, they, anyone, all of them, would be saved from the wrath of God and experience no shame on the day of judgment. They, Jew or Gentile, would be in God's benevolent presence forever, safe, secure, and filled with joy. This righteousness, this right standing with God is based on faith. Faith in the work of Christ, not self-righteousness, not my works. It's not earned by obeying the law of Moses. So that's what we learned. Now let's jump into our text with that ringing in our ears. Let's look at verse 5. I'm reading out of the ESV. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, 
Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, who will ascend to the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless, someone, unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But... They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God. May God bless the reading of his word. I'm going to do a little different than my normal thing. We're just going to go point by point, one point at a time. So first point today, your ticket to righteousness, self or Christ, your ticket to righteousness, a right standing with God, yourself or Christ. Let's look down at the text again. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it, this righteousness based on faith, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Paul is yet providing, or proving, Paul is yet proving the gospel, that the gospel is totally in line with what God has promised in the Old Testament. Remember, 9 through 11 is about that. Chapters 9 through 11. So he's doing it again. He's proving the gospel's the same thing as the Old Testament carries into the New, even though it's a new covenant. None of this is a change in God's plan. Paul is offering the same defense and explanation, but from another perspective. This time, he marshals Moses himself. Again, he's comparing the Jewish view of an earned right standing before God by obedience to the law of Moses, a self-righteousness. He's comparing that with the gospel's proclamation of a right standing before God, freely given to anyone who has faith in the work of Christ that was accomplished by his crucifixion and his resurrection. Paul begins by making a reference to Leviticus. In in the parentheses, you're seeing these these different texts. Paul makes a reference to Leviticus 18, 18, 18.5, where this blessed life is given to the Jews who follow the law. Now, that was that. The question is, was that blessed life? If you follow the law, you'll live. Now, here's the question. Was that life an eternal blessed existence in the presence of Jehovah, of Yahweh? Or a continued life, earthly life, of many earthly blessings in the promised land? 
Now, scholarly opinion varies which one Moses is talking about and which one Paul is referencing. But at the end of the day, the conditions remain the same. Obey the law of Moses. That much we all agree on. Keep the requirements of the old covenant. That's what Moses was writing to the Jews in Leviticus. But of course, no matter which opinion you believe or take, all have sinned. All have sinned. So, so much for earning eternal life. And Israel sinned and broke the covenant. They did not obey the law, and they were carried off to captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians into fallen into um, exile, into foreign lands. They didn't obtain life in the promised land either. They lost it. So that's Paul's first thing. Here's this gospel based on law that gives life. Now he compares that with the gospel he preaches. A righteousness, a right standing before God based on faith, says, and again, he marshals Moses again. This time he goes to Deuteronomy 9, and he says, do not say in your heart. Now, Moses is writing that, and he co-ops this, led by the Holy Spirit. Do not say in your heart. And when Moses said that, ethnic Israel was being warned right then in Deuteronomy, don't presume on their possession of the inheritance of the land. Don't presume on that of your own righteousness. It's grace. Don't presume you're going to keep it. You're going to earn it. You're righteous enough. Don't say in your heart. And he drives home Deuteronomy 30 referencing it because it deals with the grace of God. This is when the law was given, 12 through 14 here in this case. God had made known his word to the Jews, the law. He made known his will to his people. And by the way, he told them they didn't have to go up into heaven to find it. They didn't have to ascend to the deep to find it. No, God delivered his law right to their mouth, right to their hearts through Moses. And likewise, in the New Covenant, God does not require, and this is the point for the Jews then and the Gentiles then, but for us today and right now, in the New Covenant, God does not require some superhuman self-effort. God has already done it. Christ has come down from heaven. Christ has resurrected from the dead. All that is needed is faith. Believe the truth of the Gospel. It has been made available to you for your mouth to confess. It has been brought to your heart to believe. How does that come, Paul says in this text? By the preaching of the word of faith as opposed to law. Faith. It's the new covenant in his blood. It's the word of faith, the gospel that is near enough to confess because you believe. Number two, the Romans' road to salvation. What is the Romans' road to salvation? It's an informed, heartfelt prayer. Let's look down at the text. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Familiar passage. Let's unpack it a bit. We'll wind this all up at the end, but let's just get the pieces first. Paul reminds his listeners of what they already know. Remember, this is a letter. Think of, think of the whole Roman church gathers, and there's a scroll. You know, that's how they wrote letters in those days. And here's a scroll, and they're doing it, and they're reading it from start to finish. So they've already, and remember, these are believers. They've already heard the gospel. They know the content of the gospel. So Paul's going to use shorthand, summary, to remind them of the content. He's already told them the content nine chapters before. They already know the content because they've already had people preach to them. But he's going to give a short summary statement. The, the, the content, summarizing the basics. Here we go. When he says Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? That's pregnant with meaning. The man, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, not someone else, not some other God, not anything else. Jesus is Lord. And because he's Lord, his people belong to him. They're bought with a price. They are to be submitted to their Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the Christ in, in Greek, where we get that English word, it's pointing back to the word Yahweh or Jehovah or Lord in the Old Testament. He is the Messiah. He's the King. Another translation for Christ. He's the Lord. Yahweh is Christ. Right there and further in the passage, he's gonna, Paul's going to take Joel 3, and he's going to show, he's going to connect the word Jesus and Lord, particularly Lord. He's going to connect the Lord and the Old Testament name for the covenant-keeping, personal, unique God of Israel. How God revealed himself to Israel. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. Other translations, you see it that way. I am Lord. In your Bibles, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the word you're seeing that many times. He is the unique. Jesus is the unique and only God of Israel and the Lord and Master and Creator of everything. Jesus shares the name and Jesus shares the nature of God. He's the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God. He was crucified because of our sins. You see where Paul connects the crucifixion and the resurrection as part of this confession. He was crucified because of our sin. He was crucified in our place. He paid the penalty for Jim Britt's sin. He was resurrected from the dead. He was validated and vindicated, and he's now ruling and reigning. Welcome to the Lord. He's ascended, like Corey was talking about. He's seated on the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and reigning over all creation. Jesus is Lord. It's not just three words you say for fire insurance. It's shorthand for the content of this glorious gospel. Then Paul flips the word order as he seeks to flesh out the definition of saving faith. Saving faith is a heartfelt belief in that content of the gospel. And when you have a heartfelt belief... You have an autopilot, genuine 
verbal response. I see my wife in the morning. Right, I don't have to think about it. I'm like, hey, good looking. Why? Because I believe it. Because she is. Guys who tell me, hey, I, I'm just not wired that way. I'm not into this, you know, talking out loud and stuff. Really? Let me ask you something about your job. You pull the string. They can talk. You, 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 your team loses. Ah! What you believe comes out of your mouth. Think about that next time you complain. It's an auto-reaction. Heartfelt belief in the content of the gospel does result, will result. You have to, because it comes out, a genuine verbal response. So if we have heartfelt belief, a deep inward trust in Christ, at the very core of one's being, that's what these words mean. If we trust in the work of Christ instead of our works, that's the context of this comparison. If we believe, we will not suffer shame on that last day. Just like we looked at last week, what that means is not an emotive, mm, but no, we won't have the shame, the humiliation as we're carted off and then thrown into the lake of fire. We'll escape the wrath of God and we'll live with him forever and ever because these riches is what he richly blesses all who believe more than they can imagine. We get to be with him because Jesus is our treasure. Anyone who believes, Jew or Gentile, will be part of the new humanity. Anyone who believes will be adopted into his family. Jesus is Lord and Savior of all. He's Lord of all. Ethnic distinctions such as Jew and Gentile or Anglo and Latino, they don't matter. They're irrelevant. The plan is the same plan from the Garden of Eden forward. All true believers will be richly blessed. Either testament, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your skin color, no matter your economics, no matter your job, whatever, if you believe, you're in. If you're in, you're blessed. And anyone who has heartfelt belief, here's the cause and effect, will call on the name of the Lord. Oh, you must. But let me tell you what, you will. Anyone who calls on him for help, rescue, deliverance. Well, in order to do that, again, he's summarizing the gospel and the, and the response. One has to know their desperate need. They have to have their, a, a knowledge of their desperate plight in order to cry out for salvation. And the word call there, is typically used throughout both testaments as a synonym for prayer. Hence, you'll pray. Heartfelt prayer. Anyone who believes will call out to God in prayer and will confess Jesus as Lord, and God will open the door of salvation to them, and God will welcome them in. It doesn't get any plainer or better than that. Okay, we've received the right ticket from God. We're now on the right Roman road. But how does all of this gospel stuff happen? Glad you asked. Let's go to the next one. Let me introduce you to the missionary convention. Introduce, not invite. Now hear this clearly. Introduce, 
not invite you to the convention. Do you know why I'm not going to invite you to the convention? If you're a follower of Christ, you're at it right now. You're attending the convention. Welcome to Sunday morning. The mission commission, who got sent? Let's look down at verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Talking about the Jews. Remember, back to the big point. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? The Jews that haven't heard God about Christ yet. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay, let's unpack that. These are all very familiar verses, aren't they? Verses 14 through 16 remind us afresh of what chapters 9 through 11 are all about. Paul continues his explanation and his defense of the gospel and his defense of God's reputation. God's not fickle. God hasn't changed his mind. God is faithful. God will deliver. God, in this case now, he's going to bring up, has already delivered. Not just in the cross, not just in the crucifixion and the resurrection, but in who is sent So here's the questions they're asking. How will the Jews respond to someone, capital S, they've rejected? And how about those Jews I haven't even heard yet? And don't they need someone to tell them? And shouldn't someone be sent to do this? Well, we discovered that the law can't do the job. Remember, it can point out the problem, but not the solution. And nature... God's revelation in the skies can't cut it either. Why? We know that chapter 1, Paul's already told us that everyone who rejects, everyone, everyone, everyone rejects the revelation of God in nature. Jews and Gentiles. So the law doesn't do it. General revelation doesn't do it. So how does the ticket, how does the roadmap get to the chosen of the chosen people? Remember last week? How does God make it so that humans who have rejected him suddenly, instantaneously, want to call on him? And that's what Paul's answer. Heartfelt prayer, calling, occurs because of heartfelt belief. And belief occurs because of content you have to know in order to believe and content is proclaimed to people by people that's how god has set it up and god commissions his people to do just that but again this text is not an appeal to attend a missionary conference you're already at one this morning if you're a christian Read the end of Matthew, the Great Commission. It's a command and a commission to everyone who is a Christian. So our title, the Mission Commission. Who got sent? The answer, you. That's the answer. You got sent. Now, Paul got sent. He's going to talk about that. But the answer for us, you, me, we got sent. 
And God had already sent Paul. That was Paul's point. He was already sent. The first link in the chain had already been forged. The process had already begun. People were already sent. Boots were on the ground. Feet bringing the good news of the gospel. That's the intent of this prophecy he quotes in Isaiah 52 that Paul references. It has begun. God's plan already in motion. The outcome was certain. He had kept his promise. His word was true. Oh, those boots on the ground, so to speak, they were beautiful because they were bringing good news. They were beautiful because they were bringing the news that sin is forgiven and deliverance has come. In Isaiah, it's referring to back then, it was such good news to the Jews that the exile was over and they could finally return to the promised land and rebuild the temple, the second temple. So it was such good news that that little remnant that went back to this destroyed and decimated capital finally could return and they just thought, even the feet of those who bring the good news, that carry the messenger, the news is so amazing about the temple and the exile being over. This is beautiful, they're beautiful, yes! Oh, imagine the messenger that brought the ultimate good news, the gospel. And by the way, did I mention that's your feet? Yeah, but what about the real question, Paul? Well, okay. Just like in Isaiah's time, not everyone obeyed and acted upon the good news. They didn't all believe it. They didn't all respond. The messenger wasn't the problem, nor was the message the problem. The problem? The people. You see, saving faith doesn't automatically, doesn't necessarily follow the proclamation of the word of faith, this gospel of the crucified and resurrected. You need to always couple those together. Lord, Remember Paul's point. This gospel is God's gospel. But those people were not God's people. Why? Because remember last week? They refused to submit to his plan. And they refused to submit to his son. Because faith, saving faith, always involves commitment and submission to Jesus. It always involves turning away from self-determination. He is Lord, not me. It always involves, like he was talking about last week for the Jews, turning away from self-righteousness. It's his work, not my works. I don't earn acceptance before God because of works I've done. I don't measure up. All have sinned. I've fallen short. I deserve hell. But he lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death and was proclaimed Lord as he was validated and vindicated. And now the man, God-man, is Lord. Greater than Adam. Greater than Moses greater than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, greater than Isaiah, greater than David, greater than anyone and everything. He's Lord. His works, 
is our means of acceptance. As we place faith, we get the gift. You see, the Jews must do this on God's term or they would not be saved. And we must do it on God's terms or we will not be saved either. In his day, Paul's enemies were denying the gospel. And some Christians were distorting the gospel by claiming, now welcome to, we're we're moving out of Romans here, denying the gospel. Now we're moving into Galatians. In Paul's day, his enemies, Romans, were denying the gospel, Galatians. And some Christians were distorting the gospel. And they both were claiming at its base that some form of either ultimate or a little bit of right standing before God was available through obedience to the law. Remember last week, I can't go back and say, here's what we think about the law. Good, good, good. But now we're talking about as a means of right standing before God, earning. See, what they were both saying was, the law was sufficient in some way, shape, or form. If you denied it, you would say the law was sufficient in its totality. Obey the law, you're good to go. If you were distorting it, you need Jesus and a little law. You need, to, you need some circumcision. You need a little bit of this. You need a little bit of that to earn standing. That's a distortion that Paul deals with throughout the book of Galatians. What was the collateral damage of a wrong view of the law, this righteousness based on law, versus, but what does a righteousness based on faith say? I earned it, self-righteousness. He earned it. I have faith in him. I received the gift of God's righteousness. Well, the collateral damage back then was legalism. Of course, I've got to do in order to earn. And if I don't, then I don't. Self-righteousness. Hey, I'm a good Pharisee. You're just an okay Pharisee. And debilitating doubt, which is what's occurring in Romans. Is this too good to be true? Is this right? Is this a pig and a poke? But what about, what about, hey, how, explain doubt that causes you to shrink back. Does that sound familiar? Do you ever struggle with that? See, the collateral damage today is no different. So let's do this. As good as some of the things we've learned about these verses in the past were, some were bogus for some of us, others were good, Romans Road, missionary stuff, good stuff. But we've got to get the main point of these chapters. It's about the gospel. Many of the subpoints we were traditionally taught are true and they're wonderful, but we must grasp the main point in order to get the gospel right, in order to preach it to others so they can hear, understand, believe, and call out to God. By the way, I gotta get the gospel right. I've got oh I got it right, you got it right, but I gotta remember it right for my own soul. So legalism doesn't creep in. So self-righteousness doesn't creep in. So I don't distort the gospel in my own heart and pass that bogus distortion to others through my mouth so that I don't be, I'm not filled with doubt. I'm not always wondering, does he love me? Does he love me not? I'm not picking the daisy of God's love all the time. Yes, you need to have your quiet time. Yes, you need to stop doing whatever it is you're thinking of right now. I get that. But it's not your works. It's his. 
if, if, if he loves you, he shows up. You get the content. It's preached. You believe. You confess. You're saved. And then you're sent. We've got to get the gospel right. Because we've got to be able to preach it to others. It's about hearing and believing the word of Christ. They're not our disciples. They're disciples of Jesus. We're called to evangelize and share this word of faith. We're also called to disciple as we know it and teach others to obey all the commands that Jesus has taught them. He is Lord. So we'll end with two questions, real simple. You heard the gospel today. If you're not a Christian, will you believe it? In the way I just talked about. Will you believe it? So much so that you'll cry out to God. You can do that as we pray. If you want to pray with somebody, anybody around here, me, whoever's around here, be happy to pray with you. But you, you don't have to wait with us for us. If you want to, that's great. But you can just repent and quit this self-determination and quit depending and banking on your own righteousness to earn you someplace in heaven. Because guess what? It ain't going to happen. It's just not. You're going to die and burn in hell forever. You can change that. God's offering you a gift. And it will result, guaranteed, in your salvation. Cry out to God today as we pray. And then for those of us who have already done that, you've already been sent. Past tense. Oh, I get Paul was an apostle, ultimate word of sent one. But the Great Commission is not just for the, the, the 11 that were present. The Great Commission's for all of us. You've already been sent. Boots are on the ground. Will you go? See, it's not a question of, I need to be commissioned. You have been. You're saved. This is what he does with his people. Will you go? Now, I don't know what that means, but I know one thing for sure for the majority of us. We live here. What does go look like? Go looks like this afternoon. Go looks like tomorrow morning. At lunch, at dinner, tomorrow at work, finishing up the yard in the morning, whatever you're going to do with your neighbor, that's what go looks like. Pray, look for opportunity, proclaim. You don't have to get a total perfect ginormous discussion and long doctrine proclaim because that the chain's already been started we're just down here in this link god's going to bring it to completion all of israel all of the true believers will hear it regardless if you and i do it or not they'll still hear it god doesn't need us see (laughs) it's really freeing to realize god doesn't need you he doesn't need me. It's not, oh my goodness, if I forgot to share, someone slipped in hell, that's all my fault. No. Now you lost out on a great opportunity to obey him, to please him, to be rewarded in heaven. I got that. But that's fine. He'll just tap somebody else and they'll go do it because he's going to get it done. You've been commissioned. You've been sent. Jump in with both feet. 
He's got works prepared from before you were born for you to do. Not just evangelism, but doing spiritual good to other people, discipling them, hanging out with them, being a friend to them, and pointing them to God and his word. We've got a commission. You're at the missionary conference. And it's our joy to do it. I get it. It's a duty. But it's our joy. Let's pray. Man, if you come on forward and we'll sing whatever that song was about, I don't remember the title, but uh, The Beautiful Feet. Lord, (laughs) here we are. Send us. Lord, you've revealed the gospel to us, and we're so grateful. We are richly blessed. We've called upon your name, and we've discovered, Lord, that we've called upon your name because you sent somebody to us. And, Lord, you sent somebody to us with the content of the gospel. But, Lord, that's a person. You're the ultimate sender. And Lord, so many people hear your gospel and reject it, but you have offered us mercy and you moved on our hearts and you opened up our blinded eyes and you brought our dead nature to life. And you tore away the flesh and the hardness of our heart and we responded to you. And Lord, we're yours. We belong to Yahweh, to Christ, to Jesus. We're bought and paid for by your blood. We're in a new covenant. Lord, that's why we remember communion, the Lord's Supper. We remember all you've done for us. And we're so grateful. Lord, thank you for sending your Son. Oh, Father, thank you. Holy Father, Thank you for sending your son to an unholy people. And thank you, Jesus, for dying. And Holy Spirit, thank you because you're living in us now to prompt us and to give us the power oh, to, to, to obey the law better than a Pharisee ever could because you make us want to. Lord, we have fruit because we've been changed. We don't do fruit in order to be changed. It's the other way around. So help us, we pray. And we know you will. You're trustworthy. You're not fickle. We love you. And more importantly, you love us. And for that, we will be eternally grateful. Let's take a minute, because I don't want to lose what happened um, at the ministry, Mike. Think of somebody you know that's not saved. These are these Jews that Isaiah was talking about. Paul continues to preach the gospel knowing that the majority of the people he will preach to will not receive it. But that doesn't stop him because he's doing the things God's called him to do because God wants to save people. So let's just take a minute and just pray for that person.